It's nice to be here again presenting the Lord's Supper. I wish it's possible for one to train as a pastor who only presents the Lord's Supper. I, I, love, I love doing it because I love partaking in it. It's, um, it's one of those mysteries in life, in our Christian work, that most of us don't really know the importance and the benefits of it. Um, physically, the body grows weak and we go to the doctors. But God, from the beginning, from the onset, he's, he's made this provision for us to be strong. When, when God created when he started creation, Adam was created and Eve. He never intended anyone to die. No at all. God never intended we get weak in any way or we suffer in any way. And, um, but unfortunately, sin came into the world and then we had to start going through hardship and then weakness in the body, and consequently death. And it went on like that. But God, because it's not in his initial plan for man to die, and he looked down, and as compassionate as he is, he always is, he decided to send Jesus Christ, who is our personal Lord and Savior. Now, I would like to take a reading from the book of um, the first book of Corinthians, chapter eleven, from verse twenty-three. Um, I may be reading through to verse thirty-four to the end of it. So, um, from verse twenty-three, it says, "For I have received of the Lord that that which." I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he had eaten and drinken unworthily, eaten and drinken damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And then unto the end like that. But let me start here by saying, the breaking of bread as we know it, if I want to take 
it from the history of it is the first person was our Lord Jesus Christ who did that at um, the Lord's Supper, what we call the Holy Communion. But one thing, while I was reading through the Bible and reading through this, something struck my mind. Jesus, the table was prepared and he was given, he was about to give this, um, to break the bread and give something very significant that would be passed down through centuries up till today. He knew he was going to die. Do you see that? He knew he was going to pay an ultimate sacrifice. That same period, he knew. But he was never worried because he knew his focus was on the glory to come. His focus was on the sacrifice he was going to make for you and for me to live above sin, to live in health and wholeness. He knew all that. He wasn't, there was no, there was no account in the Bible where it says he was worried in the spirit while he was doing that. He wasn't. And I hope no one is worried in the spirit this morning. Jesus wasn't. He, he gladly paid the sacrifice. That was why he came. Because the plan, like I said earlier, before I read the verse, man was not meant to die. But we, the way we went wrong through Adam and Eve, and we started dying. And because it's not his plan for us to die, Jesus Christ was sent to die and take that debt for us on the cross of Calvary. Didn't he? He suffered so much. He suffered so much for us. And that's the reason why we are here today with smiley faces, with our faces shiny. Yeah? And we can come happily to him. We can call him Father. You see, because he sets us free. Right? The debt on the cross of Calvary, it means so much to us. And um, in associating with that debt and his suffering, we'll be partaking in the Holy Communion this morning. Yeah? All right. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. The bread we're going to partake of this morning is a significance of, it signifies his body that was broken for us. Yeah? At the first communion in the upper room, Jesus described the breaking of bread in these terms. He said, this is my body, broken for you. As we have read in 24, 1 Corinthians 24, which says, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're doing today. We are associating with that body that he broke, that was broken for wholeness. Yeah? And um, although even his body was broken, hallelujah, none of his bone was broken. Amen. Was it? That is a very big significance in, in our life. We may be going through a lot, but we shall not be broken. Amen. Because we have that faith in Jesus Christ. We will not be broken. No matter how difficult times may be, no matter how sick or ill we are, we will not be broken. I 
I like to, I like to present myself as uh, an example. Yeah? I like to present myself as a testimony to that. I, I resolved, after I was diagnosed, I resolved that whatever it is, whatever it's going to take, the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for me, that those stripes he took on his back, um, they will never go in vain. They would never be in vain. He's done it for me. If I am going to suffer and die from sickness, then it is in vain, right? But to the glory of God, I'm here and I'm strong. It doesn't matter how you feel when you wake up in the morning. It doesn't matter what pain. Sometimes I wake up and, oh, my back. No, I try to stretch that back. I said, no, back, you're not, you're not getting me down today. And I resolved that the next 10, 20 years I'll be here, even if I have to be crawling on my feet. <laughs> I will be here because it is, it is, you see, it is the will of God that we live long. His word says, with long life and satisfaction, we will live a life, yes? And the word is true. The word is here and amen. Yeah? And I, I tell you what, the major thing that has been the, the strength behind what you see here, who you see standing here today, is the Holy Communion. I believe so much in that. That is the greatest tablets or drugs you can ever have. The Holy Communion, because that he prepared. He prepared that with a very big sacrifice. Yeah? He went to the cross. He went to the cross so we can have this continually and be healed and be free from sorrow and be free from sin, especially. Be free from sin. You see? Hallelujah. So, yeah, glory be to God. Though his body, his skin, and flesh were torn and broken by blows, with rods, with fists, and by weapons and scourging, and by thorns, nails, and spears, his body and soul at some point were even separated from each other at death. Yeah? But by all that, as we know in Isaiah 53 by verse 5, by all that, we are healed. He did it on purpose. Jesus Christ, when they came to take him, when they saw him, they all fainted. He had the power over life and death, but he chose to die. Why? It's just for us, for a purpose, and that purpose is why we are here today. It's why we can gather here today and in, in unity, in communion. So um, I don't want to take too much time. I would only want to add something, or one or two things to what I've said now. It is important for me to mention the manner in which we take the Holy Communion. That's another important part. because most, We all know what it is, why we have it. I've mentioned a little bit of it, but... At the same time, the Lord stated that while we take this, the Bible states in, if we read further down from 
1 Corinthians 11. The Bible states that when we take this, we should always take it with a heart full of thanks, with a heart full of humility, a heart full of appreciation for what he has done. That is very, very important. Oh, I love the Bible to a point that I can, sometimes you can even have it as a book of comedy, you know. <laughs> because at some point in the Bible, if you read along, it says, if you're hungry, you eat from home. You don't eat that like food. <laughs> I find that funny when I read it. So it's of great importance. It is, it is power. It is the blood of Jesus that was shed for mankind to be free from sin and to have physical health, physical strength, to live a life above pain. That blood was shed so that we could live above sin. We should strive to live above those things which would be considered as being against the will of God. If we go away from that, then his dying is in vain. I don't know if I'm making sense, please. So, we should eat that, thankfully, obediently, and in remembrance of his dying love for us. We are always loved. We will always be loved. We will always be forgiven. But, like I said, grace will not continue. I mean, sin will not continue so that grace will abound. We should strive to live a holy life in appreciation for his death for us. Amen? Amen, God's people? What are the benefits after eating this today? It will give you spiritual assurance. It will give you more trust in him because there's power in the blood. Yeah, there's power in the blood of Jesus. You hope, look forward to something. If you are sick anyway, as you take this, believe that God is going to heal you because those are the reasons why we take it. This is the reasons, part of the reasons we take it. You believe that it's going to mean something. It's going to do something in your life. And so shall it be in Jesus' name. It will give you spiritual assurance. It will give you satisfaction. In the book of Mark 6, 41, that's the story of the fish and five, two fish and five loaves of bread. He did the same thing he did at the Holy Communion, right? I mean, why breaking the bread? He gave thanks and he broke the bread. Yeah? And there was more than enough for everybody. So as we take this today, there will be more than enough, more than enough healing, satisfaction, spiritual assurance, joy, happiness, and whatever, whatever reason you have in your heart for believing in taking this, it shall come to pass in your life in Jesus' name. I... Can we close our eyes for a minute? I have a word of prayer, then we, we serve it around. Um, glorious God, we give thanks to your holy name because we believe in what we are, we're doing this morning. 
we associate ourselves this morning with your death. You said we should do this in remembrance of, of you, and we're doing it in remembrance of the love you have for us this morning. We believe you died for us. We believe you shed your blood for us. We believe you allowed your body to be broken for us. And Father, we thank you. We come with a heart full of thanks this morning before you. We pray that, Lord, as we take this this morning, as we partake of the Holy Communion, Lord, we pray that your divine blessings will be ours in Jesus' name. Divine healing will be ours in Jesus' name. Father, bless everyone here this morning as we take this, and let your mighty power, let your mighty power fill us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, because we will live a life above sin, as from this moment on, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I feel encouraged today. The life and presence of God is with us. Amen. God is a good God. Um, I just want to turn your attention just to a scripture here, because I'm going to share a little bit about the outreach ministry. Um, but there's a scripture I want you to go to. If you've got a Bible, it would be good for you to read. We're looking at John 12, 24. Amen. John twelve twenty four. Is everyone there? Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now Jesus said this just before he was going to um, go to the cross, um, before he was arrested. Um, and it's interesting, let's just go back, let's add a little bit of context to it, 21 quickly. Let's go to 21, this is just before. Then they came to Philip, who was um, from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. And then we go on to this text here. But Jesus answered them, saying, let's read it again. The hour has come that the Son of Man may be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls onto the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Amen. So this was talking um, about his death. Um, and I've had a, a, an amazing kind of, um, you know, when God just uh, awakens you to something fresh. And it's, it's just, this is one of these moments to, for me. Um, Really, because I was just considering the state the disciples were in when they saw their saviour, their leader, their, 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 their shepherd go to the cross and, and how they must have been feeling. They must have felt their, their hopes were dashed. They must have felt that everything must have gone down. Gone, you know, they must have felt confused. They might have felt fearful. And all these feelings and all these uh, emotions were probably stirring around in them. That everything that they had... The person who they'd been following, the, the teachings they'd been clinging on to, it's almost like everything must have just like gone down the drain just for, a, just for that moment of time. And obviously we know 
we know the other side of the cross, we know about the resurrection, but I just want you just to consider that moment for a, for a moment. Um, consider that. That everything must have seemed like it had fallen out of their hands and gone. All that they'd clung to must have felt like it, has, it had faded away. Their hope, their faith that he would restore the kingdom of God on earth. They must have thought, oh no, what has happened? And they must have been chatting amongst each other and thinking, you know what, it's all over now. It's all over. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's died. All our, you know, everything that we thought that had happened had gone. But the interesting thing is, when I was, I was thinking about this and I was meditating upon this, and um, you see, I was considering what it's like, if, if anyone knows about wheat and grain, you realize this, that the, that the grain has to, has to fall to the floor for it to go in. And when it goes into the ground, when it hits the ground, it has to be buried into the ground in order for it to come back up to life again. And the seed is as if the seed is dead, but it's not. It's actually dormant. The seed is actually dormant within the wheat, within the grain. The seed is actually dormant. And it's like it's, it's, like it's dead, but it's not. And it takes the elements to come together to produce at the right season, at the right time. And, and life suddenly just sprouts. It just sprouts to life. Amen. But you see, it, the interesting thing about this point, there's a scripture. I can't think where it is, but there's a scripture that says that the shepherd would be hit and, 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 and it, you know, it, the sheep would be scattered. That's the one. The sheep would be scattered, you see. Now, at this point on his arrest, the sheep, they were all there, but at the point of his arrest, everyone was scattered. They were scattered. And you see, the word that they'd spoken to them, what Jesus had taught them, were laying dormant within them. It was laying dormant. It was there, but it was dormant. It was only till the resurrection, when that hope was revived, the glory come, and something was revived within them. It was the power of the resurrection. You see, through death comes life. That's what I'm saying to you. Through death comes life. And our hope is in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you today, even though it seems like your, your, your hopes and all your dreams and all the things that you've clung to seem to be dying and wasting away, I'm telling you that's, a, that's the very substance of your resurrection. There's a resurrection coming to you. And Jesus had to go to the cross in order to bring new life. Amen. And some things have to lie dormant for a while in order to produce a fruitfulness in your life. God wants to produce a fruitfulness in your life that you don't realize it yet. Amen? You see, God is a God of seasons. He's a God of processes. They had to wait because the words that he spoke to them were lying within them. But it wasn't till the witness of the resurrection that they came alive. And you know, they came alive in many places because that seed had been scattered all over the place. Amen? This word is amazing. When I got this, I thought it's amazing. It was all part of God's process. But on the face of it, it was despair. But underneath it all, God was scattering life everywhere. And on news, on the news of his resurrection, life sprung up in many places. Life sprung up in many places. And life is going to spring up in your life in many places. Even when it looks bleak, 
God is going to resurrect something in your life, in Jesus' name. It's all part of his plan and his purpose. Mourning will be turned into joy. Amen? Amen. I have to get out of my system. I'll tell you, I'll tell you God is amazing, you know. It's like that with Lazarus. They were disappointed. They've been praying and praying and praying. He comes late and like, he, missed, like, he missed it all. Like, why have you come late? But there was a purpose in it. He would be glorified through it. Amen? God will be glorified regardless. Through his death, many are raised to life. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I was going to speak about the outreach, but I just kind of, kind of got sidetracked a little bit, you know. Get excited about the gospel, you know. It's real, you know. God has a bigger, a much bigger way, a much better way to deal with things than we have, you know. We have to get over this thing. You know, lots of people, they get very flustered when they see people that they, they think people haven't come through. I'm talking about sharing the gospel. They think they, they try to get people saved, and then they don't come through the way they think they should, and then they get disheartened. It's... You see, the problem is they're trying to get people saved and they're trying to keep people. It's never been like that. The, the way the gospel works is by seed. You sow and in the process of time, God deals with it within them and the elements around them produce the life. That's how it works. You don't have to get disheartened. Now, I'm all for bringing people into the fellowship and bringing people to church and that's great and that's fantastic. But I tell you, it's the gospel that saves people. Because within the gospel is the power of God. Seed. The, the life is in the seed, and the seed has to go into the earth, just like Jesus had to go into the earth in order to the new life to come. But the process is an important one. We can't bypass the process because it's a God process. God deals with the process. Amen? And I think, you know, with, with the outreach, it, it, this kind of releases you because, you know what, over the, over the years, there's been, you know, people pressure, they put pressure on you. Oh, so what's happened to them? And what's happened to them? And what's happened to them? You know what? And it's like a burden. And you feel like, oh, what am I going to, you know, I, I'm going to call this person. I'll call that. And that's great. And I do call people and stuff like that. But you have to realize that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. And that's for people who don't come to church. That's the people. The harvest is the people. He brings them into his barn. God has to do it. God has to do it. The power's in the gospel. If you're worrying about it, if you're trying to keep people, then the chances are you're carrying them. But I have faith in the power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The seed of life is within them. Amen? And it produces a harvest. Produces a harvest. God cannot fail. Amen. We're here to scatter the seed. Just like the disciples were scattered when the shepherd was hit. The word of God went everywhere. It was all part of his plan. And we must learn just to relax a little bit and chill out a little bit. And let that life flow, flow, flow out of our lives. Rather than just being trying to just on some kind of a gender assignment. Where we have to try to get people somewhere. We've just got to love people and let the gospel flow from a place of love. That when you love people, people see sincerity in your heart and suddenly the opportunity is available for them to hear the gospel. 
Amen. Love makes a way for the gospel to be heard. If you're going to talk, 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 you've got to ask, ask, this question, ask, ask yourself this question. Do I actually care about this person? It's a simple question. Because when it's at the right heart, at the right spirit, it produces life. Amen? Sometimes we just need to just chill out and just go and chat with some people. Just be yourself. Just chill out and just chat with people. And God will bring around an opportunity and you can sit there and you can just chat and, you know, something could just happen. Something could just happened. You know, it's amazing. Like most of the opportunities that God presents to me are totally, just, just totally out there. I, I could never have planned it. I could never have purposed it. I could never have thought it up, but it happens. You know, you just have to be ready. Do you know what I'm saying? But we're going to continue to meet and we're going to continue to meet... Um, to, to, to the outreach, but you know, you know, where we have, uh, where we're going to have worship and where we're going to have music. I mean, that's great, but I think the whole point. Sometimes we can miss the whole point. Do you know what I'm saying? We're never here, we're never out there doing an outreach for us. We're out there for them. And sometimes it's almost like we're trying to build ourselves up, and because we feel we, you know, we feel better about ourselves. Do you know what I'm saying? It shouldn't be that way around. We shouldn't be doing stuff to reach out to feel better about ourselves. It's because of what He's done through my life. I want to give out. Amen. That's the, right, that's the right way around. Otherwise, you're on an achievement thing. You're on a tally chart. You're on results. And, you know, as soon as you get into that mindset, you feel like you've failed. If you're not reaching them points, if you're not getting them things, you, you, you feel like you've failed if you don't get there. And so many people can live like that. But God brings the harvest. He brings the result. He's in charge of the outcome. Now you're free to express your heart to people and to love people because he loves you unconditionally too. Does that make sense? So, you know, we're going to continue to meet. And um, I think it's based upon these principles, you know, that we sow and God is the God of the harvest. And there might be occasions where you might phone people. There might be occasions where you might call people because the Holy Spirit may prompt you in that certain area. But the general rule of things, and I hate using that word rule, but the general gist of things, we're there to sow and we invite. God's big enough to bring the harvest. You have to be convinced of that. You know, I'm not going to be stressing over these things because God doesn't want me to stress either, does he? He doesn't want you to stress. You're not responsible. You just sow it. And then he brings the increase. Amen? Does that all make sense? Am I communicating there? Good. I don't want to go too long, Alan, because I know you've got something to say. So, yeah. So what are we doing? Yeah, uh, 11, o'clock, 11 o'clock, we're, we're meeting, um, we're meeting um, at the Eastgate. We're meeting up there. Um, and we're going to be in the town centre part, um, where, where we normally are, still available, that area. Um, but we're going to be taking some of the music and stuff like that, the amps and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like our, our approach has, has changed. Um, but we're going to see. We're going to see. We're going to see what happens. Yeah, so 11 o'clock Saturday. Eastgate Food Centre. Is that all good? Amen. Lord. Well, who can tell what's going to happen in this place on a Sunday? <laughs> it, it's all in the... I could have sung another song. It's all in his hands as the days go by. <laughs> um, and... Uh, who can tell what I'm going to say? I don't know. <laughs> I, 
I, I put, you, you probably, a lot of you know, I've had one of my cataracts done on my eye, and the other one hasn't been done yet, and I haven't got any glasses to read with, uh, and I feel very insecure sometimes because I'm reusing my old glasses, and nothing um, is normal. <laughs> but I think when, we, when you feel like that, you have to tr- trust in God <laughs> and sally forth. And uh, I'm not feeling uh, insecure in myself because I have God. Amen. Hallelujah. So I thought I'd give a little bit of my testimony. Uh, I've been saved now 64 years. Quite a long while, isn't it? <laughs> um, it seems a long while to me, and I'm such a different person now to what I was 64 years ago. I would never be doing what I do today, 64 years ago. And so I thought I, I might try and explain why I'm here and what, <laughs> what God has done in me in those 64 years. Now, it's pretty hard going in 20 minutes, which uh, uh, I'm chalked down to this, this morning. So I thought I'd start with John chapter 8, verse 39, if you want to follow me. 36 is the verse I want, 36. And it said, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And I was made free in a meeting in 1966. A long while ago... Suddenly, God set me free. Now, I'd never danced in my life before. <laughs> I started dancing. It, 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 God didn't set me free to speak or do anything else. He set my feet going first. And, you know, you may wonder why I wander around like I do on, on a Sunday. It's my, it's my ministry. <laughs> it's in my feet. Hallelujah. When I start to walk, God starts to work. <laughs> now you say that's a bit crazy. Well, I thought it was crazy at the time, but it, I felt so different, I felt free. Suddenly I was free. I wasn't inhibited any longer. And it's a wonderful thing to not be inhibited. And that's what Jesus is talking about. If you are set free by the Son of God, you are free Indeed. And freedom is a wonderful thing. It opens your horizon. You suddenly see things for how they are in God, rather than seeing how they are in the world. And uh, that's what happened to me. And you know, I found this. We're going to Matthew now. Matthew 11. And verse 28, you all know this. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the thing was, freedom gave me an easier walk with God. Because Somehow or other, it set me free of all my religious background. I was born again in 1952 uh, in a Tom Reese uh, meeting, although the, the actual process of being born again happened in a factory 
were in a, in a machine shop. But my uh, witness to the fact that I was born again was in a, uh, the Albert Hall in a meeting with Tom Rees. Such a wonderful experience to walk forward for God and have my life changed. But I wasn't free. I wasn't free. I didn't have that freedom in my spirit. I was trying to conform my life to an image that was presented to me by the, the church that I was in at that time. And it, it sort of, it was a, a feeling of never having achieved what God wanted. But when, it's like uh, um, Luke was saying this morning, you see, it's all, God does things in a different way to what we think he's going to do things. And God, by a simplicity of setting my feet free, set my spirit free. Hallelujah. And the, the wonderful thing is, I'm free indeed. I found it easy because his yoke is easy. Sometimes we make it hard because we think it is hard. It's not hard to be a Christian. It's just being obedient and listening to the Spirit of God in your life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. This is the wonderful thing. It says there, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, I suppose what happened to me that day when I, my feet were set a-dancing, God made me anew. I was totally different. I, I felt different. I... I was more spontaneous with God. God wants us to be spontaneous. And the fact that we are a new creation, all my old thoughts and processes and all the things that have gone on in my life were gone. Hallelujah. Everything was new. It says old things passed away because everything became new. And that's what God plans to happen in every one of our lives that we might have everything new. I was the new creation. We used to sing a song, I'm a new creation, I'm a brand new man. Hallelujah. Then 1 John 4, I'm, uh, in case you haven't understood, I'm reading you the things that I'm freed from. And this one is about fear. I'm free from fear. And verse 18 of 1 John 4, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear, because fear hath torment. He that is fearful is not made perfect in love. Hallelujah. We don't have any fear. I don't have any fear about being here this morning. You know, God dealt with that. It, when he re recreated me, a new creature, I've lost my fear. fear if, I, if I have God, I don't need to be fearful about anything. Um, 
I learned this hard way. I worked for Fulton Motor Company for quite a few years. I was a manager in the, quite an important department. And I had to learn the, the walk with God in the, in, without fear. You know, they used to give me millions of pounds and I used to have to budget that budget and I had to make sure that what they give me the money for happened. Um, but I didn't have any fear because I knew God was with me. And God would make me what I needed to be in that situation. So fear is, is, is something that limits what you do. You know, the reason I was a manager at Ford is I wasn't fearful. That's another story. It's another miracle in my life that ran parallel with my other experience as a Christian. Romans 6 and 18. It says, being then made free from sin, you become servants of righteousness. Now, suddenly, over the years, God revealed to me his righteousness. You see, uh, in my earlier life, I'd been sin conscious and not God conscious. But, you know, in that experience, you might think it's strange that just an experience of being set free like that, I became free of that consciousness of sin. Hallelujah. And the, the thing about it is, the wonderful thing I found, I found even re, more, more and more recently, it's a, my sin was dealt with in the past, in the present, and the future. That's what Jesus did. You see, it says he's, he was sacrificed once only. The sacrifice for sin was made once only. But it is concurrent, it runs completely through your life. Uh, I think the wonderful thing that God has a way of dealing with sin. It's different to the way that we think. I believe, you know, when I was, a, when I was in the world, when I was uh, living in the world, I was a slave of sin. But when God came into my life, I'm no longer slave to sin. It says, sin no more hath dominion over me or you. And I thought to myself, well, what does that mean? I'm still doing things that are not right. But the, the word came to me quite recently. Um, but you have a choice. We have a choice now, whether we sin. Everything we do that's wrong, we have a choice. We have a choice. We're not bound by sin. Sin does not have dominion over us. We do it of our own free will because God has given us a choice to sin. We have a free will. We can still carry on sinning, but we don't have to because God has made us free from our sin. And you know, it's, a, 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 it's, it's such a, a mighty blessing. You see, God's made a way of dealing with that. If we do sin, he is willing to forgive us. 
You know, or you say, how many times is God going to forgive me for doing the same thing over? That's where it gets difficult in our minds, doesn't it? I've done that over and over and over, and I don't seem to have been out to break the cycle. Well, Jesus spoke to the crowd, didn't he? Somebody said, said to him, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus said, not seven times, seven times 70. In other words, Jesus was saying to the man, you've got to forgive him forever. Don't keep counting. And God's like that. See, God wouldn't ask you to do something that he doesn't do himself. I think the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God is such a deep subject. We don't know how, how he does it. He, does, he hates sin, and yet he, 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 he forgives sin all the while. And the, the thing that really grabbed hold of me when I was mulling this over the other day We've seen it written time and time again. God has no record of sin. God's not sitting writing down every sin that you do. He says it. I, found, I, looked, it, I looked at it. I, I do look, use Google for some things when I'm searching for a Bible verse. And I found <laughs> four verses which tells me that God does not remember sin. Jeremiah, where, where else would you go? Jeremiah 31 and 34. You don't have to look this one up. It says, He's, God remembers our sin no more. Psalm 130, verse 3. And it, it, David asked the question, what would happen if God kept a record of my sin? And then it goes on in that verse, it says, but he doesn't keep a record. Now, David, how did he get that revelation? It was before Jesus died. How did he get a rec- rec- that revelation? It's an interesting verse. And then we've got 1 Corinthians 13 and 5. It says, God doesn't reckon evil. He doesn't count evil. Well, I, I suppose that is in his remit where he can't see sin. He can't look on sin. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you, how you explain these things. But I, I have a way of understanding it for myself. God's, it's God's way of dealing with it. He can't deal with it in any other way than ignore it. He can't, he can't come to grips with it. He's forgiven us our sins through Jesus' death. And then we've got Romans 8 and 1. Well, we all know that. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, God's not got any condemnation of you. It's, it's amazing. Okay, we, we don't get a free ride. Sin has consequences. I'm always telling people that. If you do something that's not right, there are consequences. But it doesn't lock you out of heaven. But it'll have an impact on your life. 
It, it has an impact on your life. And God has a way of disciplining you, if you do. But we have this wonderful relationship with God where we can go and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And he will forgive you. Okay, so it's, it's not a free ride. Like, I, I like what Paul said. He said, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? No, God forbid. And then he leaves it stone dead there. He doesn't go on and give a dissertation on what we should do. He leaves you high and dry. You've got to read the rest of the Bible to find out what you have to do. Paul didn't want to give any answer to it other than the answer is that you have to deal with it in the knowledge that God who loves you and he will never leave you or forsake you. You know, you say about the backslider. Well, we've got the, the illustration of the, of the lost son, haven't we? The prodigal. The father was all over him. He only had to just think, he only had to think something. I'm much better off at home with my father. I could be a servant there and be better off than I am without, without him. And as he starts to move towards God, God rushes out and grabs hold of him. And what does God do? He puts on all these good things. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet. He clothes him. He didn't even go for a shower. <laughs> he didn't go for a shower. You see, he just God clothed him. <laughs> and I thank God for that because he clothed him so that when he walked into the town where all his father's friends were, they would have lynched him. They said, look what, what disgrace you brought on the father. What a disgraceful young man you are. You can't come back to your father. But father got in first. And when he starts walking into, into, the, into the town, he's got the robe of righteousness. He's got the ring of authority on his finger. And he's got the gospel on, on his feet. The, the, the wonderful gospel. He's walking on the, on the strength. And we have, haven't we got a wonderful gospel, God's given? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then we, what I love is Luke 4, verse 18. One of my favorite verses. And this was what God gave to his son as a, as a lifestyle that he would lead when he came to earth. And it says, this is what Jesus read all those years ago. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of the sight to the blind, set at liberty that they are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Hallelujah. You see... That was the remit that Jesus had when he walked the earth. And that's our remit. You say, how dare you take on the remit of Jesus? But he said, greater things shall you do than I have done. And when we get in line with this, this, this verse, we start to, to move in the gospel. Hallelujah. And that's, that happened to me. I went to a meeting and the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. I was laid out on the floor. 
If you want to see it, you can see it. It's on the internet now. But I looked disgusting. I rolled on the floor. I was totally filled with the presence of God. And I was anointed for the job that I do today. That happened in July 1978 to me. And I've stood here in this place since 1978. I wouldn't have called myself a pastor then. There were only seven. You know, we were seven. But God put us here for a purpose. Now, people, we've had in that since 78, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people have come in this building and tried to change us. You know, they, they loved the presence of God, but they thought we ought to be like all the other churches. And by the grace of God, we aren't like the other churches. But we've had a lot of pressure put on us to do various things that the other churches do. But we're not here to be like somebody else. We're here to be like what God anointed me to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And there's something different about this place. We, we don't have ceremonies so much as some other churches. Uh, we're sometimes a bit, as the church would look at, lax on doing the things of the church. There's so much more that we could do if we really put our minds to it. That, that's what, what is possible to think. But we set, we set out in our hearts, the seven of us, to do what God wanted. And that's what we're carrying on doing. Hallelujah. I've got so much more written down here, but I won't go into it. But this morning I woke up with this song, which I hadn't sing, sung for years. I could, only word, I could only remember a few lines. But it says, We shall see his lovely face, some bright golden dawning. When the clouds have rifted and the shades have flown, Sorrow will be turned to joy, heartache's gone forever. No more night, only light, when we see his face. Hallelujah. What a wonderful hope we have in Jesus. He's done so much more for us than we can even begin to think or understand. He's so wonderful, my Jesus. And he's brought me this far. And he'll carry on bringing me until such time as I've just taken off this earth. I've always thought it'd be nice if I went in one of the meetings, to be honest. <laughs> we did have a meeting in Stoke-on-the-Trent where somebody did die on the back, back seat. Died of heart attack. It caused a little bit of a kerfuffle. But it was lovely for the guy who went. <laughs> so if I pop off one Sunday, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> Just re- rejoiced where I am. I'm where I want to be. I want to be with Jesus. 
I want to see that lovely face. I don't know where I can sing it. <laughs> She'll say, why, why, why do you go there? Well, I don't know. I woke up this morning with this in my heart, you know. And I thought, what, what a wonderful thing. We shall see his lovely face.